This is the Mountain Traditions Project, telling stories of people carrying forward Appalachian traditions in our rapidly changing world. I'm Leah Scarpelli. And I'm Mike Snyder. One of the first things that Reverend Frankie Ravel told me is, if it's got strings on it, I can beat a melody out of it. Now, that's somewhat of an understatement for the eight-time state champion banjo player and pastor at the LaVille United Methodist Church in Western Maryland. And Frankie can make stringed instruments, too. In his basement, there are literally dozens of guitars and banjos. Some are professional, but others are handcrafted out of discarded materials, like cigar boxes and coffee cans, scrap wood, and even soda bottles. They are one-of-a-kind instruments he sells to raise money for driver's education classes so that local people can commute to work. The husband and father sees poverty alleviation in Western Maryland as his passion and mission. Frankie comes from a long line of banjo players, and he demonstrated his skills to me on one of those handmade instruments. Uh, this banjo right here, I made it completely out of found items, except for the tuners and the strings, obviously. But this was a drum they were going to throw away at church. We cleaned out the church. I said, oh, no, you won't. That looks too much like a banjo to me. The lumber somebody just had laying around, that's a bolt. And um, yeah, I, made it, I made everything else. Let me tune it up. I, I think it's just a part of my calling, you know. Uh, Doc Watson, a great Appalachian guitar player, said, um, you know, he considered the, a, a, his calling and going on into the ministry, and he said, God said to him one day, he said, no, Doc, you're going to pick. So, uh, I guess it's kind of that kind of a calling, I'm going to preach and I'm going to pick. I have to say, my banjo playing, and I truly mean this, has done more for me than all of my college degrees together. I got an associate's degree, I got a bachelor's degree, I got a, a master's of divinity degree. But everything good that's ever happened in my life has happened as a result of the banjo. Yeah, at college, uh, my grandfather had just died in 2003 when I transferred my studies to Frostburg State. You know, losing him was very difficult because he taught me how to play, so I didn't know if I would continue to play or not. But I saw a poster that said the talent show. And I thought, oh, well, you break out a banjo at a talent show, you're probably going to win. So I did. Took the banjo, and, and I won. And the friends that I made from that, I still have today. Uh, the director of residence life was one of the judges. And he was so impressed with my banjo playing, he asked me for lessons. And in return, I didn't ask for any money. I just asked for a single room. And I always had a single room at Frostburg. <laughs> So I grew up uh, between Hancock and Clear Spring. It was a little community called Peckinville, Maryland. And uh, my father played the banjo. My grandfather played the banjo. Um, actually, it was my father's, um, my father heard my mother's father on the radio before they were ever married. And uh, my, my father heard that and said, wow, I have to learn how to do that. So he sought this man out, the man who would become his future father-in-law. My family actually uh, kind of has a part of, of history, the history of the banjo in the region. Uh, so my, my grandfather uh, was a semi-professional banjo player. In fact, he did play a set with Bill Monroe back in the late 50s. Uh, Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass, uh, asked him to come up and play the set and he did. So 
My grandfather, strangely enough, learned from his brother, who was an outright professional musician. He played on the Wheeling Jamboree. And uh, so he learned, my uncle Arnie, he learned uh, in the service. And he learned from a guy who was from North Carolina. And this guy would have been about the age of uh, the first generation of bluegrass players. So that three-fingered style of playing that Earl Scruggs popularized and Don Reno and Snuffy Jenkins popularized uh, originated in, in the Carolinas, the same place that this guy was from. So I really think that that, that bluegrass style, the three-fingered dri hard-driving bluegrass banjo style, you know, my family kind of learned almost directly from that, even though we're from Maryland and uh, is a North Carolina style. Really. My father used to play a little bit after dinner every night, and when I was about seven, he said, uh, well, you want to learn? And I said, sure. So he taught me the tune Cripple Creek. That's the standard first banjo piece that everybody learns. It's a fairly easy tune. So in about a week, I, I had it. They were very patient with me. And you see how fast the fingers move when somebody plays the banjo? If you can imagine that slow down string for string, that's how my father taught me. And it, it just about drove all of us crazy. You know, and it, my father was an old school, born in 1936, so positive reinforcement was not always part of what we did. You know, I'd play a song and he would wait until I made a mistake and he'd listen very closely when I made the mistake. No, that's wrong right there. You know, so much for you did the first 20 bars of the song correctly. You know, if you messed up here, that's what we've got to work on. That's part of that struggle, you know. I've worked on some songs. I think I worked on one song, Blackberry Blossom, a very difficult song, for 20 years. And I finally got it right. But I, 20 years is how long it took me to get that song. Uh, the timing and the, the strings and the order they go in exactly right. I, I performed, but I didn't desire to perform until my father started to come down with Alzheimer's in 2009. So I sought out shows at that point, and we really played a lot of the local coffee shop. And my father would always enjoy that. He would always remember the date that we were going to go to play. Nothing else, but he would remember that. And so I guess the, the difficult times for me and the good times playing are just kind of a blurred line there, you know. Um, he was able to play things that we were able to converse. He was himself when he had the banjo in his hand, and that was sometimes the only time. The disease, uh, he had a different kind of Alzheimer's. It wasn't the old poor little old man sitting in the chair. I mean, my father was rough and ready. 36-hour day, he was just getting started, you know, and it was hard for us to keep up with him. But if I kept him focused on the music, I felt like I had him with me. When you're smiling, oh, smiling, the whole world smiles with you. And it really just helped me to process something that was as awful as Alzheimer's is. So I have fond memories, but I, it, it gets you through the difficult times. And that's what music does, I think. You know, the, the, the banjo was almost exclusively a, a black or a slave instrument. 
And unfortunately, a, a, another part of the ugly part of the history was the minstrel era and the minstrel shows. So you have that kind of unfortunate history. The, the uh, bluegrass bands were often uh, seen performing at clan rallies and that kind of thing. It's got a very ugly history. Um, and then kind of the blues come out of that as well. And there's a, a melting pot of music, I guess, that happens. Now, a lot of bluegrass is about uh, just leaving the homestead or I wonder how the old folks are at home or I'm going back to the old home. You know, a lot of those uh, kind of early bluegrass songs speak to that experience of Appalachians just leaving and going to find work and then coming back. Oh, I left my home in Kindred and those who loved me well It broke my mother's heart the life I led Then from her yeah, that's not really our experience anymore. So the, there's a, there's a box with bluegrass. It's it's strictly defined, and you're not allowed to step outside of it. And uh, that's from top to bottom. I mean, if you go to a local jam, I was kicked out of a jam one time for playing a tenor banjo. Uh, it was a big big jam, and apparently they had in their rules you know, only certain instruments could be played in this, and tenor banjo was not one of them. And even in the award shows, you know, there's some wonderful bluegrass that gets put out, some, some newer music that gets put out, but uh, they don't tend to win the awards. It's the really traditional stuff. Bluegrass very much tightly guards their traditions. My, my family's kind of gotten a little mad at me because I don't play the banjo as much as I used to in the style I was taught by my father and my grandfather. But I've expanded my horizons into uh, different genres of music, blues and old-time music, and um, I picked up the clawhammer banjo, which is a different style of banjo where you strum. It's an older style. It's an African style, really. And that led me to, uh, to the blues, you know, finger-picking the guitar the way I would finger-pick a banjo, and uh, expressing yourself that way. It's just it's a different, it's a different thing, but I, I don't know why we closely guard these traditions. It, to me, it, it, it's another thing that hurts us. Reverend Frankie Ravel at his home in LaVale, Maryland. The Mountain Traditions Project was created and produced by me, Michael O. Snyder. And the podcast was produced by me, Leah Scarpelli. The Mountain Traditions Project is funded by the Community Trust Foundation in partnership with Frostburg State University, the Appalachian Independent, Maryland Traditions, Mountain City Traditional Arts, the Allegheny Arts Council, the Maryland State Arts Council, and Interdependent Pictures. But soon my childhood days were over, I had to leave my old home. For mom and dad were gone to heaven, I was left in this world all alone. I'm on my way back to the old home, the road winds up on the hill.